The reading today comes from John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40, um, and that can be found on the, in the Church Bibles on page 904. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to do to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Well, thank you, Ella. And thank you, Bant and Chris, for leading us through so far. Uh, we're going to look at this passage um, bit by bit as we work our way through. John 18, page 904. It's going to help you to have it there in front of you as we look at it together. Um, and also, if you look at the service sheet printed on the back of that, it's just an outline for you to um, help you on the way through. Now, we're going to pray, and then we'll come and uh, explore this together. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. And so we pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we might hear what you're saying to us and so that we might respond rightly. We might respond with faith and with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we left last week with the sound of the cock crowing in our ears. On the night before his death, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas, arrested by the soldiers, tried by Annas, and then denied by Peter, his friend, and most fervent of disciples. And then the cock crowed. The night is over. 
the signal for the new day. The new day begins the Friday, what we now call Good Friday, the Friday of the first Easter. And the Gospel writer John, he continues with his dramatic style that engages us like a film where he goes from scene to scene, uh, cutting from inside to outside and inside to outside, back and forth uh, like that throughout this account. He records for us the conversations and the events of this fateful day. Now, this part of the action, we're introduced to a new character. Uh, He's a figure in each of uh, the scenes from here in uh, chapter 18, verse 28, all the way through to 19, verse 22. And he's made famous, or rather infamous, uh, by these events. His name is Pilate. Every time I see his name, I think he must be the guy who invented Pilates. Um, but I don't think that's true. Um, his name's Pilate. He's Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor of Judea. And we learn lots about him from John's Gospel. John gives far more attention to his interactions with Pilate, uh, uh, with Jesus, sorry, uh, than the other gospel writers do. But we mustn't think that Pilate is the main character. Pilate's merely the foil. Uh, The protagonist is Jesus. He's the focus. He's who it's all about. Now, the way that we'll tackle this passage then this morning is by four questions that the text answers in turn, and they're laid out for you on the back of the service sheet. So here they are. What kind of death will Jesus die? What kind of power does Jesus have? What kind of message does Jesus speak? And what kind of response does Jesus get? So here we go. First question, verse 28 to 32. What kind of death will Jesus die? Now, this first question is taken directly from verse 32. John gives us his commentary in verse 32, and he says this. He says that this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So this first scene, how does what John sees in this first scene, verse 28 to 32, how does it get him to make that conclusion Well, let me read it again from verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So here's the scene. We're outside the Roman governor's headquarters in Jerusalem, outside the praetorium. And we've got the Jewish leadership there. And they put Jesus on trial at Annas' house, first of all. That didn't really get to Caiaphas, who's the current high priest, and then Caiaphas in turn ships him off to Pilate. They're kind of moving things up the chain of authority in Jerusalem. Now this passage is dripping with irony. Notice first of all at the end of verse 28. They refuse to go into Pilate's house 
because that would richly defile them and mean that they couldn't enjoy the Passover that weekend. Now, why is that ironic? Well, because they're there to get someone killed. It's massive religious hypocrisy, isn't it? They care about being in the same house as a Gentile, but they don't care about murdering a Jew. It's huge hypocrisy. But it's also more ironic than that. Listen to their reasoning. They say that they want to be morally pure to eat the Passover. Yet we know, because John the Baptist told us in John chapter 1, verse 29, that the true Passover lamb, the, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the only one who can make people morally pure, is Jesus Christ, the one that they seek to murder. In seeking to be pure for the Passover, they miss the true Passover that can make them pure. And there's yet still more. Verse 29 to 31. Pilate asked them, in effect, what's the accusation here? What's the charges? And uh, they come back with a pretty rude response. They seem a little bit annoyed, to be honest, that Pilate wants to go through the official procedure of a trial. They say, look, if this man weren't doing something evil, well, we wouldn't have given him to you, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you, would we? They seem to assume that Pilate should just be on board with their decision. Trust us, they say, he's guilty, all right, no need for you to probe any further. But that sort of vagueness is not going to cut the mustard. If Pilate's going to do something about this Jesus figure, he wants to be clear what the charges are. I suspect that verse 31 is Pilate rubbing salt in the Jewish wound. Judge him by your own law, he says. Now, he must know that they can't try Jesus, otherwise they wouldn't have come to him, would they? So he's having a bit of a pop at them for their rudeness. And the truth must have galled the Jewish leaders here. But again, their response is really telling, isn't it? And, it? and it reveals what they're after. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. They're speaking of their rights under the Roman system, but they speak more than they know, don't they? Indeed, they are breaking God's law. They're killing an innocent man and they're condemning him, in fact, before a trial, it is not lawful. So all this is going on. It's a back and forth debate between Jewish and Gentile authorities. It's a kind of sniping, contentious wrestle for power. And in the end, it's a handing over of the Jewish, Jewish Messiah by the Jewish leaders to the Gentile Romans for his trial and execution. And here's where we come to John's commentary Verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It fulfills his word. Now, this is one of John's big themes. They can debate all they like over what to do with Jesus, but they're not in control. We saw this last week too. 
And if the Jews had judged Jesus according to their own law, as Pilate suggested they might do, then what they would have done was stone him to death on the ground. In fact, they've already tried to do that twice in the Gospel uh, without a trial. But Jesus had already spoken what it should be. It was to be a death in the air, death by crucifixion. Three times in John already he's told us that he will be lifted up. John 3, verse 15. Jesus told Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 8, verse 28, Jesus said to the Jewish leadership, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And John 12, verse 32 and 33, Jesus speaks to the crowds just before the Passover feast begins, and he says this, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And John comments then, he says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What kind of death will Jesus die? He knew before he got there that he would not be stoned by the Jews, but handed over to the Romans, that he'd be lifted up from the earth and lifted up both in the sense of crucified, hanging in public shame over the earth, showing himself to be accursed by God, yet also lifted up in the sense of glorified. For by this kind of death, all who saw him and believed would have eternal life. And by this kind of death, he would draw all kinds of people, both Jew and Gentile, to himself in faith. Pilate and the Jewish leaders, they can bicker all they want, They can argue about who has the power and the authority to do what. And they're culpable for their actions. But at the end of the day, they don't decide anything. God the Father is bringing about the salvation of the world through the lifting up of his Son. That's the end of the first question. Now on to the second. This is verse 33 through to verse 37. What kind of power does Jesus have? Now, the debate around politics and religion and how they intersect has been very much in our news over the last few weeks, hasn't it? Heard the debates around the election of the first minister. We've seen the images on our screens. There is a certain discomfort in our culture that God might have undue influence over our political landscape. But the reality is that the debate about the overlap of these two spheres of authority is nothing new. Whether you live in 21st century Scotland, or 16th century Reformation Europe, or 1st century Roman-occupied Palestine, well, this question's very much in the air. What kind of power does Jesus have? Now, Pilate's in a tricky position. He's Rome's representative in occupied territory. 
He's answerable to Caesar, Caesar who'd have no hesitation in removing him from his position as head over this region, or indeed removing his head from the position at the top of his body. And the Roman province of Judea is not easy. It's not an easy place to govern. It's multiple rebellions, it's a big clash of cultures, and there's a general hostility to Roman rule. Pilate's got to keep the peace, but he's also got to keep things prosperous. It's a tough challenge. And a religious leader who claims to be king of the Jews, well, that would be a big problem. But actually, as we come into verse 33, we start to see that Pilate isn't actually sure if Jesus does claim that. Since he doesn't trust the word of the Jewish leadership, and so he needs to work that out from himself. Scene, and he takes us away from the outside scene with the Jewish leaders outside, and we go inside the headquarters for a one to one. Verse 33. So Pilate entered the, his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So there's the question Are you the threat to Rome? Are you going to make a claim for political power here? Verse 34, do you say this of your own accord, Jesus says, or did others say it about me, say it to you about me? So he's not going to answer the question until he knows why the question's being asked. Is Pilate wanting to find out Jesus' identity? Does it come from his own curiosity? Or is it simply a repetition of the accusation that the Jewish leaders had thrown at him? Pilate's rather racist reply reveals that it's the latter. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? He's got suspicions about their claims. He thinks that there's got to be something else going on behind the scenes here. Something else Jesus has done to upset them. And you might at that point think, well, this is the moment for Jesus to defend himself. I've done nothing wrong. It wasn't me. They've got it in for me. They're just jealous of my uh, popularity. I mean, that's what I would have said, wouldn't you? And all that would have been true. And it might well have got Jesus off the hook. But Jesus doesn't do that. Notice that It is Jesus who isn't willing to drop the topic of kingship. He could have done, but he carries on. Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What Jesus says here reveals that he's not a threat to the emperor as a political rival. 
Uh, there's been no attempt at violence or force. Lots of rebellions in the past would have done that, but Jesus hasn't. In fact, um, he's been willing to be arrested easily. If you went back uh, to what we saw last week, you'd see that he stopped Peter from being violent. He's no political threat. But at the same time, Jesus goes beyond saying that, doesn't he? You see what he's doing? He's teaching Pilate. He's teaching him about himself. And he reveals to him that he is a greater king than Pilate can ever imagine. That his power, his authority is more than he can possibly know. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not from this world. It's from another place. Pilate jumps on these words to exclaim that Jesus is indeed a king. But there's a question now, isn't there? If he's not a political king, if he's not that kind of a nation state, he won't tie himself to Israel, or indeed today he won't tie himself to America or to Scotland even. If he's not that kind of king, what kind of king is he? What kind of kingdom? What kind of king is Jesus? He's a king who dwelt in eternity before the world began as the son of God and who entered this world as a baby. Only here in verse 37 is the birth of Jesus mentioned explicitly in John's Gospel. God eternal, born as a human being with real human flesh, fully God and fully man, a king born from above, a heavenly king in human form who will rule not a political or a national kingdom but a spiritual one, the kingdom of God. Now that is a great truth for us to hold on to in 21st century Scotland. Nations will rise and fall on the earth and in process they may embrace Christianity in their public life for a time and they may come to reject it but either way Jesus is still king and his kingdom still advances across the world not restricted to one nation but as men and women from every nation come to accept him and bow the knee to him His kingdom is not of this world. You need to hold on to that truth. What kind of power does Jesus have? Infinite power. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, third question. What kind of message does Jesus speak? Now what's been causing all the problems in Judea, what's ruffled all the feathers, is Jesus' speaking, it's his message. And verse 37 just reminds us of that. Look again at what Jesus says here in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? In other words, yes I am, you've just said it. But then he goes on, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So what does this mean? Jesus came to disclose to us the truth about God and about himself, the truth about us and our sinfulness, the truth about how we can be saved. He came to teach us how we can enter the kingdom of God, his kingdom, the kingdom which is over all the other kingdoms of the earth. He came to teach how human beings like you and me can enter his kingdom and live under the sweetness and the security of his gentle rule. How is this possible for us? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you want to be in the true kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, then you need to listen to Jesus' voice and accept that what he's saying is true. Now here's something really striking, I think. Do you hear in what Jesus is saying here? Do you hear what he's saying to Pilate? He's extending an offer to him to enter his kingdom. The guy in the interrogation room offers his interrogator an opportunity to be saved. Jesus is saying to him, will you listen, Pilate? You sound like you're after the truth, Pilate. You're asking the right question. You're seeking to find out who I really am. You're not just taking what others have told you about me. Now, will you listen to my voice? Will you believe? And by believing, have life in my name. That's his message. That's his offer. And he extends it to the one who will condemn him. And here's the sadness of the story, and we enter our fourth question. What kind of response does Jesus get? Two responses from these characters in our story. First of all, from Pilate, what is truth? Now, if you were in the university and you went to a philosophy course, you probably hear philosophy students debating this question. What is truth? It's kind of a big one uh, in this world. How do you know what's true? But this is no philosophical question. This is a real person responding to Jesus' teaching. What is truth? He doesn't understand. In fact, a bit more than that, he doesn't think he can understand He doesn't listen to Jesus' voice and he doesn't believe. In response to Jesus' offer, he kind of throws up his hands and walks away. And it's so sad because the offer was right there for him. And he was asking the right question, but he wouldn't accept the answer. He wouldn't listen to Jesus. I wonder if you're in that position this morning. In effect, John is putting Jesus before us and Jesus is making the same claim in our hearing. That he is the king of the true kingdom 
an expansive, an all-encompassing kingdom to which all peoples can become citizens, if only they'll accept the truth of Jesus' teaching and believe in him. That's the message Jesus speaks. He spoke it then, he speaks it today. That offer is still there for us. And the question is, will we listen to his voice? If we will believe in him and accept him as our king, then because of his death for our sins, because he was lifted up from the earth, we will receive eternal life in his kingdom. Now sadly, Pilate does not do this. And this brings us to our final scene and one more response to Jesus. Pilate walks away and he goes back outside to the Jewish leaders and their response is not this man. Verse 38, second part, verse 38. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate comes to the obvious conclusion that there's no lawful reason to put Jesus to death. He's established not a political threat to Rome. That charge isn't valid. So he tries to get the Jewish leadership to drop their complaint. And this is the first of three times that Pilate tries to let Jesus go. His motive's not goodwill towards Jesus, though. Don't mistake that. If he had integrity, he would let an innocent man go free. But he never does that. It's expediency. He wants to find a solution that won't result in a massive riot. So he comes up with this plan to release him under an old custom. But such is their hostility. Here's the second response to Jesus. They cry out, they shout, not this man. In fact, it's even stronger than that. It's anyone but him. We'll even take this robber Barabbas over Jesus. Here we find another incident of sad irony. You just notice the reference to Passover there in verse 39. And we haven't heard about Passover since the first scene. And it reminds us of their concern that they spoke about not wanting to defile themselves before they were to eat the Passover. They didn't want to even enter the house of a Gentile. Well, here they embrace a convicted criminal into their arms and hand over God's king to be nailed to a Gentile cross. Not this man, we'll take anyone but him. Such is their hatred for him. And so they do defile themselves. It's a sad story. Two negative responses to Jesus Christ. A refusal to accept him as king, to listen to his voice, to the truth. And a hostile determination to do anything to get rid of him so that you never need to hear his voice again. But what about us? Let's just apply this to ourselves this morning in a few different ways. First of all, if you're a Christian here this morning, here's two things that we might consider. 
first. Isn't this just a wonderful reminder that Jesus Christ is King? It may not seem at times in our nation that that is the case, but it's true. It's true that he is the king of his kingdom. Now we have eyes to see that this is the case, that he really is this king. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is one of truth. It operates in the hearts of men and women as they hear his voice and they believe in him as they bow the knee to him. We can rejoice in this truth. We can be confident in this truth, even when we might see our nation rejecting him. Second application, for those of us who would uh, think of ourselves as Christians here this morning, that's one that struck me as we went over the course of, over the course of this last week in pre- preparing. It struck me that Easter is a wonderful opportunity to invite people to come and hear the voice of Jesus Christ. So that they too might enter his kingdom. I've been really challenged by that this week. Who will I invite to come and hear the word of Jesus? If I truly believe that his voice is the truth that people need to hear in order to be saved, then why am I so cowardly when it comes to inviting people to hear him? I must be bold enough to go to my neighbour and say, would you come and hear from the voice of Jesus? There's a challenge for us. Finally, if you if you not yet call yourself a Christian, we're really glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Let me just take this opportunity to encourage you that this Easter time is a really great opportunity for you to respond to Jesus Christ. I was chatting to someone earlier this week who, as a teenager on Easter Sunday morning, heard of the resurrection and put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Can I urge you that let's not respond as the folks respond in this passage. Don't walk away, don't throw up your hands and say, I'll never understand. Don't reject the voice of Jesus. Instead, respond in faith to the voice of heaven's King. And when you do, you can receive the eternal life that he offers Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this part of your word. We pray that we would be those who hear his voice and place our trust in him. That we would believe that what he's saying is true. That he is the king. That his kingdom is not of this world, but that one day he will be revealed as the king of all creation and his reign will endure forever. Help us to trust in his word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.